0: My friends, welcome once again, as always, to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 290. Two, And today is a super rad day And it's a super rad day because it's a super rare day It is the last day of February But when I say that, I don't mean February 28th Yes, February is the runt of the, the monthly litter It's the smallest one in the box But this year, there is a February 29th Yes, it is leap year, it is leap day And I just think that's hilarious, right? That we need to do this adjustment every four years with one person particular day to make up this little weird gap problem in our calendar and so that's the time right we just add this little dollop of an extra day in february and call it done and we move on for another four years and don't touch it again now what i think is super fascinating is that rare breed of person that was born on february 29th right they only have a birthday every four years they are perpetually young i think that is hilarious right i mean it's one thing to be born on christmas day that's unique like my grandson was born on christmas day But boy, February 29th, ooh, that is, mm, that's spot on, man. You just can't get more unique and rare than that. So anyway, I was hoping, I went on Facebook today to see if anybody in my network actually was born on the 29th, and I was so bummed, nobody. My man Scott Thompson, it was his birthday yesterday. Shout out to Scott, happy birthday. Um, But no, no February 29th, I was super bummed by that. So anyway, on this February 29th, what should I do? What should I talk about? Well, I want to talk about power because I have been promised power Power. I've been promised power as a preacher, as a pastor. I have been promised the potential, the possibility for power uh, if I do certain things. All right, so now let me reverse it. Uh, and and I, I'm going to bring some clarity to this because you're you're probably going to think it's going a certain direction and I'm bringing a certain criticism and you're going to then see I pull a judo move and I'm bringing a completely different criticism uh, and everything else. But I want to go back to what the center of the, what this podcast is really all about. And it's being everyday missionaries. And part of that is having the mindset, having the, the kind of the perspective to engage in society, to engage in the structures that we have. What with with the, the eyes of Jesus being the eyes in which we look at things and having the heart of Jesus and the tactics of Jesus, the ethos of Jesus being the thing that drives us. And if there's anything I know is that there's always going to be pressure to um, conform. There's always going to be pressure to uh, kind of get away from the things of Jesus. And what's weird about that is that that can be both in the name of kind of the liberal establishment and in the name of the conservative establishment. So, so both sides can have these ways of steering outside of Jesus's ideals, right? And so we're always getting pressured to kind of give in to the way the world gets business done. And again, when you're thinking about it socially, business gets done in extremes a lot of times, or business gets done in these conflicting ideologies. And I think if Jesus were to walk into like 2024 America, I think he would be like blowing up all the establishment stuff. And he would be calling out kind of the hypocrisy of everybody. And he would be trying to get us back to, hey, how are you going to fulfill the mission that started way back with Abraham to bless the nations? How are you going to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love people. And how are you going to do this in such a way that you are acting as the peace creator, not just somebody that settles for truces, but somebody that really seeks to create peace and stability in a very volatile world. And how are you going to do that in such a way that is counterintuitive, upside down and backwards, just like I modeled repeatedly through the gospels. Like I think Jesus would come in and start doing all that stuff and he would blow our mind. He'd probably have enemies on both sides by a long mile. Because if you go back to his ministry, the Pharisees were like the political right and the Sadducees were like the political left and both conspired to kill him. Right. So I do think and they were religious and they were Bible believing and all those kinds of things. Right. So, again, I think Jesus is is uh, a unique figure in many, many ways. And. He's always kind of confronting like you're going to want to do it in worldly ways, right? You're just going to want to do that. And you're going to be tempted to use the power of worldly ways to get stuff done. And he's always in mourning like, and that's not the way I do business. So I say all of that because as I was sharing, I was promised promised potential power. So about a week ago, President Trump was kind of doing a stump speech because he's been doing a lot of rallies and things like that. And so he was speaking at the National Religious Broadcasters kind of, you know, kind of like national event kind of thing. Uh, and it was in Nashville, I think it was. And it was a pretty long kind of event. And there was all kinds of different speakers and everything else and music and that kind of thing. And the, the National Religious Broadcasters Association are really like the who's who in uh, Christian media, and voice and everything else. And so it's it's it definitely is kind of the who's who of that industry all showing up. And then President uh, Trump was there to, you know, kind of give a speech or whatever else. Now, in the speech, he promised, to me, because he promised pastors and rabbis, he said. He says, pastors and preachers and rabbis, uh, if I become president, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you power. You're going to get power like you've never had power before. And you're going to be able to use that power to get religion back on track in the country. And you're going to get Christianity kind of moving full steam ahead again. You're going to get all of those numbers back up and your congregation, things of that nature. Now, at this point, you probably think Matt's here to criticize President Trump. And I'm not. I understand that all politicians are trying to get elected. And I understand that all politicians, whatever group they're before, they're going to speak to that group and they're going to want to speak to that group in such a way that it's kind of like preaching to the choir. Like, I'm here to rally you. I'm to get your support. I want to make sure that, you know, I am speaking to the things that you value. And so that's exactly what he was doing. I have no fault whatsoever in his speech. Really, I don't. I mean, even if I wanted to, it's really not the focus of what I'm thinking about here. It's the fact that when he was promising this power to Christianity or to religion or whatever else and particularly to people like me a pastor um the gr- the, the the room erupted in celebration like yes we're going to get power again and 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 I I remember as I was just listening to the speech it just reminded me of man we want to flirt with the world don't we like we really do want to flirt with the world in the name of Jesus and that's kind of what that was right because there's maybe a couple of things about this. First of all, I love that he's saying, you know what, if I become president, Matt, you're going to be one of tens of thousands of people in positions that will have a power you've never had before, right? Like, I appreciate that that's what he's wanting to offer up. Whether he could do it or not, we get that, you know, again, politicians say things they can't always deliver. But my thing is, would I want that power? That's A. B, are we known as... A faith population to do power well. And I would argue that 2000 years of cultural Christianity shows that we do power very poorly, actually. Um, And then kind of the third C element of that is, is that what Jesus wants for his people? Is he like, I'm trying to get you in positions of power to wield power to then put the country back on track in this kind of religious spiritual way you know and and i would argue that actually jesus advocates the exact opposite that he advocates the exact opposite, that his people are not people of power who want power to leverage power to make change through the means of power, but rather he's like, I'm calling you to lay down your power. I'm calling you to do things very different than the power brokers of the world. And if you have power, eventually it will corrupt you because all power tends to kind of corrupt at some level. And I've seen that throughout my 30 years of pastoral ministry, that more often than not, when ministries get power. Power, when leaders get power, when figureheads of religion get power, they kind of sell their soul sometimes in the midst of that. Not always and in every occurrence. So I want to be clear. I'm not trying to make some overall blanket statement, but we've seen over the years, even how many like mega church pastors or, or really well-known power brokers in the evangelical world, when they kind of get into bed with power, uh, they, they, they can be abusive. They can misuse it. Uh, it becomes sometimes more about money than it does about Jesus. I mean, there's all these risks involved in that, and I think part of this goes back to kind of the the illustration, you will, if you will, of of the Lord of the Rings. Right. Like here's this ring of power. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful architecture to capture kind of the deeper essence of what is the ring? Because it is the dumbest weapon. If you think about it, a ring of power. That's the big, dumb weapon. Like, it's, How is a ring dangerous? This is just kind of dumb. But Tolkien, he was on to the idea that now this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor that that power is just this corrupting influence. And no matter how much good intention you have with power, it tends to mess you up. Right. And so that's why every time any leader in the Lord of the Rings gets a hold of that ring of power and they think, I can use this to rescue people. I can use this to bring stability. I can use this to establish peace. It somehow does not do that. And they become corrupted and then they use their power for corrupting purposes. And it's always just kind of a mess, right? And so I think because Tolkien comes from this religious background, I think he's drawing off of kind of the air that religion breathes and he's noticing. Noting That, listen, every time, every time we hand somebody kind of the keys to the kingdom of this world for Jesus, they end up not really doing it for Jesus. They they do it to secure their vision. They might do it at the cost of other people who don't share their vision. Um, you know, certainly you can look at Christendom, which was kind of Christianity in Europe, and that's exactly what it did, right? And there's some really good writers that have kind of unpacked some of this, and they use the illustration of there is the cross and there's the sword. And when those of the cross decide to hold the cross in one hand and the sword in the other, it tends to basically dismantle the cross. It, 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 it kind of erases the real profound nature of Jesus and what he calls us to. And pretty soon you're just wielding the sword in the name of the cross, but you're really not doing the stuff of the cross anymore. And see, that's my concern with promises of power. Not that somebody is promising me power. What bothers me again is a bunch of people that follow Jesus celebrating the fact that they might get that power. And that's all they need. If they just had power, they could fix everything. If they just had power, we could convert the whole country. If we just had power, what, we could force people to be Christian at that point? Like I don't know what we think that power really does. Because I don't think power is the tool of real change in the hearts of people. Power is not the stuff of the kingdom. See, I think the stuff of the kingdom, and this comes into then us being everyday missionaries, is almost the opposite of power, where you're kind of laying down those things. And you're doing something very different. You're wanting to leverage influence. You're wanting to leverage service. You're wanting to leverage the ability to love neighbor, enemy, God, you name it in an authentic and genuine way. You leverage love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. These really kind of, um, almost like, like life disrupting characteristics, right? Like that's the thing that brings then a real interesting change. Because I know in my own world, when I think somebody is just wielding power and wanting to use a power broker, power trippy thing to move me in a direction, it doesn't move my heart. It might move my body. It might move me to have to confer, conform or you know, s- submit or whatever it is, but it's not going to change my heart. In fact, if anything, it's going to make me kind of hard hearted to this power force thing that's happening, right? And I think especially in the space of, of kind of our shared Christian faith, I do think it's odd that we would want power to kind of force a certain kind of morality or cultural, you know, set of conditions on, on our environment um, when, when we go, well, you know, you... It, it, just because you're moral doesn't mean anything. Works don't save, right? So, you know, like, why are we so worried about having these external conditions met through power when what we really should be caring about, caring about more than anything else is the internal disposition being transformed. And I think that comes by what we saw in Jesus, where he's like, hey, if you're worn out, if you're weary, if life is beating you down, come and follow me. Not because he says I have power. He says because I'm lowly and gentle, And you're going to find rest when you're doing life with me, right? Like it's so radically different, right? The invitation is not to power. The invitation is to something completely and utterly different. In fact, if anything, Jesus warns us as his followers about the want of power and how it ultimately is not going to lead to the place that he's trying to lead us to. In fact, there's this great scene in the Gospel of Matthew. So, you know, James and John, Sons of Thunder, always getting in trouble, you know, getting all pissy at everything and, you know, wanting to call down fire from heaven and consume Jesus's enemies because that's the stuff of Jesus. Right. And so he's always having to kind of like calm them down and everything else. Well, in one particular scene, uh, like their mom comes uh, and they're she's like, hey, you know what? When you're uh, the high rolling power broker king, because that's their assumption, right? Jesus is going to roll in. He's going to have a sword. He's going to sit on a throne. He's going to crack the skulls of Rome. She's like, when you're there, can my boys, my good boys, James and John, can they sit to your left and your right? And he's like, oh, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking, you know? And she's like, no, we do. We know what we're asking because you're going to be the dude, right? And they're going to be the dudes next to the dude. And it's going to be awesome. You're going to be a trio of dudes ruling the world kind of thing. And he says, can I just tell you something? He says, "Uh, you know... The rulers of this world lord it over their people and the officials, they flaunt their authority for those that are under them. But among you, he says, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave, not just last, your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when they're sitting there saying, we would like to be the power keepers with you, he's like, you don't understand. This is about giving up power. It's not about wanting power. It's about giving power away. And the real power you have is not being in charge, but being a slave like that's radical. That is completely radically different. And so when any politician, I don't care if it's on the left or on the right, I don't care if the leader's religious or secular or whatever. If they're coming to me and saying, as a pastor, I want to give you power so you can get your ministry stuff done. My first thought should be, whoa, that is very opposite of Jesus who says it's completely the opposite of power. It's about relinquishing that. It's about releasing that power. It's about not wanting the power because when you get there, then it becomes about you and it becomes about your securities and your wants and everything else. And maybe that's the thing that I keep seeing over and over and over again. I keep hearing pastors that are almost kind of promoting this as well. And they're like, man, we got to take this stuff back and we got to get into positions of power. We got to get control again because this is going off the rails, but it's not being sought through this Jesus-like way. It's being sought in this kind of leadership of the world way rulers of the world way those who will have authority and then can put others under that authority to get done what they want to get done now I want to be clear that's the easy way who wants to be a slave Who wants to be a servant? Who wants to be treated poorly? Who wants to maybe suffer for Jesus? Who wants to be persecuted? Like nobody wants to. I mean, that was even part of the speech. Like Christians are getting so persecuted. So we got to take power back so you don't get persecuted anymore. And I'm like, did anybody read Jesus at all on this subject? Like he's a man. Persecution is not something you should fear or flee from, but rather you should rejoice in because God's going to use it in powerful ways. So even if we're getting persecuted, the way forward in that is to be more like Jesus, not more like the world, and getting power to get out of the problems that we have, so that we can like reverse the tide and be brought back to what I guess a comfortable life in this world. Like I, I just I keep going back to the stuff of Jesus, and I go, I think that's why. It's so radical. It is so unworldly. It is so opposite of Babylon. And then I'm just sad that Christians want the Babylon tools to do stuff in the name of Jesus. Again, I want to be clear, not faulting President Trump for what he's offering, promising, wanting to do everything else. I mean, even in the speech, he admits like, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't really know the Bible very well. He's actually quoting another pastor. Um, And it's kind of funny. I am like, hey, you acknowledge that, you know, but then those who are in the know, and those who would be very knowledgeable of the Christian scripture, in particular, very knowledgeable about the life and expectations of Jesus on his people, they seem to just be going like, uh, yeah, I know, Jesus, but we got to get some stuff done in the real world. Right. Like that was nice. Like in first century, you know, when life was simpler, I guess we don't know how complicated it is now. Life is woke and crazy. and da, da, da. You know, like so we got to We got to be a little tougher about this than what you advocated for. But we're still doing it for you. And because we're doing it for you, even if we're not doing it like you, because it's for you, that's good enough. And I go, no, 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 it's not. That's not the way it's supposed to be, right? So again, this is less uh, a critique of our politicians. It's more a critique of us as Christians, or maybe not a critique. Maybe I'm just trying to put on our our dashboard some flashing lights that say, you know what? Power is seductive. And um, being told that we're getting run down and somebody's going to fight for us and get us out of our persecuted status, I'd say, A, we're not persecuted, not in our culture, not really be, um, at what cost? Like, am I going to get out of persecution by, um, becoming powerful so I can oppress my oppressors? Can I become the persecutor so I don't face the persecution? Like, is that going to be the standard? Because again, I think it's just super easy to drift, drift, drift away from these really radical, beautiful things that Jesus promoted. And it keeps us from being the peacemakers and it keeps us from being, um, you know, like, um, like patient with people long suffering in those circumstances. Like it's almost like we're trying to figure out ways to not have to be profoundly, deeply, almost difficultly like Jesus, and we want kind of the simpler life in the name of Jesus. And I just don't think that's what he's called us to, and I don't think that changes the world. That doesn't move the needle. That doesn't really put any points on the board authentically, uh, and it certainly doesn't highlight the slain lamb, right? We, we, Weirdly enough, I love that imagery in Revelation that it doesn't go with the devouring lion, right? It goes with the slain lamb, and that's modeling to us as followers reading Revelation that that's our disposition. Again, Babylon's going to do what Babylon's going to do, and it's going to seek power, and we will be corrupted by power if we're seeking it too, or if we're wanting to leverage it, or it's offered to us, and we take it, because we're probably not going to use it really, really well. So, this is my call to arms for all of us. Lay ourselves down. This is my call to arms for all of us. Be a servant. This is my call to arms for all of us. Be a slave, because Jesus says, don't be like the world just don't be like the world. And when the world promises you what you kind of are craving in the moment, just reflect back. Is this the stuff of Jesus? Because the stuff of Jesus is the only stuff that gets anything done. And I think if we figure that out and we kind of lean into those things and seek that out in our lives, then you know what it means. We're going to be more effective everyday missionaries.